0: Lamb mention...
1: Amen. Amen. Are we glad for that? Am I fixed all right now? Back okay? I I put on six pounds while I was gone. So the coat is a little tight. I might have to unbutton it this morning just so I can breathe this morning. Isn't it awful? You go to your parents and they feed you so well and you go out to eat and you just let it rip and uh, sometimes if you bend over that might be just what happens well amen and amen boy it seems like a long time since I preached I'm looking for the clicker here I think there it is so I found it had to remember to turn on my little microphone and everything else so you're just going to have to put up with a preacher that's out of practice how's that sound this morning (laughs) Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter seven. I've enjoyed the message this morning. Nothing else can cover our sins but Calvary's blood that was shed for us. There's no other way to get to heaven. I tell you what, I don't know that for some reason the Lord has directed as last time that we were here, which was a couple of weeks, three weeks ago, actually when I preached on Matthew seven twenty one through twenty three. To reiterate some of the thoughts that are in here, Um, a very stern warning, if I could say that, words that you would not want to hear when you stand at judgment, those words are, I never knew you. Would anybody want to hear that? Now, I don't know, sometimes I have difficulties memori- mem- remembering names. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, it is an affliction. I don't know what it is. It is an affliction. Uh, Drew was up here this morning, and I said, I want to just pray for you. And I said, Lord, you help. And he didn't help me remember his name. And he was standing right there. He's on our staff. And for the life of me, Brother Turner, I could not remember his name. It's not that I don't know him. I know him. But God says to these people, I never knew you. Your name is not recorded. I've not ever established the relationship with you. It's not the fact that they were once saved and then lost it. It's not the fact that they were in church and and, uh, had a ticket to heaven and then misplaced it. The Lord says, I never knew you. Let's read there in verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into heaven. I mean, they're saying, uh, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, many will say in that day, Lord, haven't we done prophesying in your name? And haven't we cast out devils in your name? And haven't we done many wonderful works? Then will I profess, the Lord, saying there unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Father, as we come to this message, it is my prayer that as you've laid on my heart to to again revisit this, we might understand what's being said here and that we might come to a place that we understand the scriptures in such a great way. Understanding and knowing Certainty where we're going to spend eternity, having not deceived ourselves by the things that are going on in our lives, but that we establish a relationship with you, that we hear your voice, and you lead us and guide us, and that you have changed our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll work now, in the time that we have together, in all of our hearts, in Jesus' name, Amen. Would you not agree with me that it'd be very important? For you to know where you're going to spend eternity, yes or no? Absolutely. Would you want to sit there and and or in, go on through life, or as many people are, as they don't many people don't even put a thought of where they're going to spend eternity. But but would you want to me to, to have a hope soul uh, salvation? In other words, I hope I'm going to heaven. Would you would you want to be there? Would you want a no soul salvation? Uh, would you want to, to deceive yourself and say, you know, I, I'm a pretty good person? By the way, how many good people do you believe are in hell? Well, that's kind of a trick question, isn't it? David, it's a quick, quick question. Because the Bible says, there's none good, no, not one. You know, there's a lot of people who believe that they're good. In fact, in this passage, this is what they're bringing out. Haven't we done all these amazing things? God says, I never knew you. By the way, the only way you get into heaven is not by your goodness, but by Jesus Christ. Isn't that the truth? And we know that. And these people here were orthodox. The Sermon on the Mount is a lot of uh, dealing with a religious crowd. He starts off there in... Matthew chapter 5 and he says unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees you won't go to heaven and I'm sure as he said that there were some jaws that dropped because they saw these people walking around in their white, uh, whited sepulchers white robes or whatever walking around very pious and those that were well known in their prolonged prayers and their almsgiving and all these things and he just throws it under the bus. He's dealing with this, and he's continuing to deal with this because there's so many people in this world who believe they're going to heaven because of the good things that they do. The Bible says there is none good, no, not one. Last time I spoke, I talked about justification. How many were here when I spoke on justification? All right, we talked about the doctrine of Justification. And then the practical use of justification. I'd like to just reiterate some of those things so that we can, again, understand what is going on here. And can I just say this, what we all are guilty of? And that is the wrong kind of justification. It means the definition to render righteous or such he should be. To declare, pronounce one to be just or righteous or such as he should be. Remember uh, that definition? That's a good definition. And as we looked at the verses that justification is used in the Bible, we find that it depends on who's doing the justification. Who's doing the justifying. Now if God justifies, that's a good thing. Amen to that. But if you and I are doing the justification, maybe in our words, maybe in our thinking process, we think we're justifying. I, hey, I'm going to go to heaven because I believe I'm a good person. You have done the justification, not God. Does that make sense? And so we spent some time on that. Let me just say this. Another word for justification is becoming good at making excuses. Do you hear what I just said? I can justify why I don't go to church. Right or wrong. I can justify why I don't give to missions. Right or wrong. I can justify why I don't want to lead someone to Jesus Christ. I can justify all these things. And all we do is begin to make these excuses out there. And as one man said, a person who's good at making excuses is probably not good at anything else. And I want to encourage you, let's stop. Matthew chapter 7, it says, judge not that ye be not judged. With where judgment that you judge, that you will be judged by. You remember that? Oftentimes we think of that as saying, I'm going I'm I'm to judge Gary based on my thinking processes of Gary. Gary. But in reality, it's not just limited to other people. It can be how I judge myself. Does that make sense? I can justify myself. I can judge myself and say, hey, I'm doing pretty good. And I can feel real comfortable with the excuses that I make. And listen, my friends, we are going to stand before God someday and give an account of the life that he has given to us. And the resources that he's given to us. We had an amazing missions conference. Would you not agree? I'm going to tell you, Wednesday night, it went two hours and 15 minutes. And I'm glad that one of the speakers that got up there says, listen, they don't even get started. I think it was in Peru. They don't even get started until they've gotten two hours into the service. And some of us can feel like, oh, my soul, what that church is requiring of us and putting us out so that we can't get home and watch two hours of television. Right or wrong? You see, oftentimes, you say, man, that service went so long. But I tell you what, if a football game goes into overtime, do we judge it the same way? <clears throat> I shared on Wednesday night, and I tell you, I mean, we had some amazing missionaries. Four of them were our own, and the other one, I hope, will become our own. And as Pastor Nathan says, if we could take on $1,500 more a year, we can take on another missionary. I thought about this. I thought, wow, if we got 50 people to increase their missions giving or get on board in missions giving, and we're praying that 10 people will get on board uh, in the missions giving, say, Lord, help me to give. By the way, if God wants you to do that, do you think he'll make it possible? Is God big enough to take care of us financially? I'm going to tell you something. I have discovered, as many of you have, we can't outgive God. We just do what he asks us to do. And I thought, if we get 50 people to take on $25, and I thought, what is $25? I says, well, for me, $25 is going to McDonald's five times. But for you, it might be going out to dinner once with your sweetheart, once a month. If we had, Pastor Nathan, 50 people take on $25 a month, you know we could take on 10 missionaries. By the way, time's running out, isn't it? And the gospel needs to get out there. That gospel needs to get out there around the world, and that gospel needs to get out right here in Eugene, Oregon. Didn't you love the illustration of the light of the world? That was outstanding. The power of what the church is, is not contained in the walls, but as we go out and take our light out there. And we're going to have an opportunity to discover how to become engaged in the souls on a, on a, a relational level and then to share our faith. And we've got to give tools to do so. By the way, this opportunity of the exchange might not come around to our church for another five years or so. I don't know how long it's been since we had our last soul winning conference. This is an amazing opportunity. What happens is we kind of drift into doldrum and, and everything. Or I said, man, uh, giving up another Saturday. I, I, by, by the way, I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm on vacation every week now that the building project's done. How yeah. <laughs> I many you know what I'm talking about? Praise God. Yesterday, I, I got out there, and, and, and Friday, and, and everything, and yesterday, man, I got up, and, and I, I fixed my wife's faucet. I fixed something else. I was already ready to wash her car, but she took it, so I didn't do that. And, and, uh, and I got to read the paper, and I got to read some books. I says, man, I've done more in this day than I probably did in a month of Saturdays during the building project. (laughs) Time's running out. Time's running out. May God help us. May God help us to be engaged. And so this justification, I can deceive myself. And I wrote down here that we can become master deceivers. Think about that. Would you think about that? How many want somebody to deceive you? Anybody want somebody to deceive you? Yet we can deceive ourselves in a greater proportion by the excuses that we make. Can we ponder that? I tell you what, God woke me up this morning with this, this message here and talking about justification. I added this back on here. And truly, we we know that uh, we are not going to be righteous in and of ourselves. And, and we have to understand that we're not good. And, and I gave you this parable about this man who trusted in himself. And, and he prayed to himself, this Pharisee. And, And verse 11, he says, I thank God that I'm not like other people. He was deceiving himself. He was thinking he was righteous. He was in tune with the Lord. Just like these people here in Matthew chapter 7. They had a self-deception. They were orthodox. They were preaching correct. They were casting out devils. We're not talking about bad people. We're talking about people that are in church. Prayed with himself, I'm like uh, glad I'm not like this, this publican here. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. The publican standing afar off would not lift so much as his eyes unto heaven. But smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be Well, I like that passage of scriptures. So as we get into this this passage here, the deception of this profession, the deception of this profession as as people delude themselves thinking that certain things are the way they are or they think I can't I can't I can't lead someone to Jesus Christ. I can't I'm on a limited income. I can't give to missions. I I can't I can't I can't I can't. God can. We don't serve a God who says you can't. We serve a God who says you I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You be spirit led, I be spirit led, just do what God wants us to do. That's the best way to live. Amen to that? Ah, oh, discover the truth of this relationship. Here he says, I don't recognize you. That person might be on the church roll. They might be known at the Oscars. They might have the ticket to the Super Bowl. But if you don't have a ticket into heaven, what is that? May God help us. Orthodox, we see they're zealous. Almost, listen to me. You know, when I was lost and grew up in a works-based religion, I almost felt like when I did things that I was Bartering with God. Now, I didn't use that terminology, but that was kind of inside of me. I says, well, God, if I do this, will you do this for me? And a lot of people approach their religion as a bartering and then become disappointed because certain things don't turn out the way they think it should turn out. I'm going to tell you what these people possibly were bartering with God and their salvation. Well, we're going to go out and live this kind of life. Their problem was a works based salvation. Everybody see that? a works-based salvation. People have said, well, if we believe in him, we're not condemned. That's what the Bible says. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Whosoever believeth in him in your heart and confess with your mouth shall be saved. As long as you acknowledge and say the right things, are you saved? Not necessarily. Remember we talked about the the demons. They believed. And they tremble. They're not saved. You you read in Mark chapter 1 when Jesus is casting out the the demons there. He says, what have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee. Thou uh, who thou art. And they said there, they know who Jesus is. The Holy One of God. Just because we acknowledge Jesus and who he is doesn't necessarily mean that we're saved because there's a lack of integrity of a born-again life being regenerated in Christ. This integrity of being born again. I want you to look at this passage here because, you know, today we're living in a society, too, that is changing the moral structures of our society. People have their compass based on their own justification in the society that we live. I, uh, When I was down there in uh, <coughs> Arizona, I asked Brother Tetro if he had a book for me to read while I was down there. Can you imagine someone giving you a book this thick to read while you're on vacation? It's, uh, It's called... The Story of Civilization. You know what? I wish it had a lot of pictures. It doesn't have any pictures, Gary. (laughs) Our Oriental Heritage by Will Durant. Have you read it, Brother Turner? Some of his books. How many have read some of Will Durant's books? He's a uh, well-known historian. Wrote this book. Uh, uh, Charlotte, you've read some of his books? Do you have any more of his books at home or anything like that? He's got 11 volumes of this. <clears throat> he wrote this back in 1935. The first part of it is the development of civilization. Well, development of civilization from a barbaric society. And it's interesting, as societies go, their thinking processes, their paradigm. And he goes in there about marriage, birth control, family, and all of these things. I tell you, Sherry, you know, you're working with uh, foster children and things like that. If you read this and all, you'd say, Wow, I can't believe that there were societies like that. Barbaric. In fact, after reading this, it gave me a greater, and by the way, I have a great appreciation for the Bible, but it gave me even a greater appreciation. For the first five books of the Bible, because those first five books of the Bible deal with civil law, moral law, and ceremonial law. Setting the record straight, such that we even to this day uh, allow and have most of our civil laws based on the book of Deuteronomy. Wow. But it also helps me to understand why people think the way they do think. And even as you read about Lot, when you read about Lot and him giving his two daughters away uh, to to these perverted people of Sodom and Gomorrah, do you all remember that story? How in the world, Cindy, could a father justify giving his two daughters to a perverted crowd? Then I read in here, Do you know what the customs were back then? If you can imagine this. I mean, it's hard for us to imagine this. But back in those days, that marriage basically had nothing in comparison to what the Bible says in establishing one man, one woman, and the moral aspects of that, not sleeping together before we get married, and all those kinds of things like that. Uh, when they got married in those days, there was clannel marriage. Does that make sense Clanel? Is that the right word well, you know when brother er, uh, when Brother Turner raises his eyebrows and you say that 's probably not right but but clan marriage in other words, a man would marry a wife, but she didn't belong to him it belonged to the clan. Can you imagine and and the custom was to this that if you had guests in your home come that it was proper and hospitable to give your wife to the guest. Does that sound stupid? That was the customs of the time. And in the barbaric society to a civilized society, in Lot... He's in Sodom and Gomorrah. Can the world begin to creep into your paradigm, your thinking process? And then you can justify what you're doing because everybody in the world is doing it? See what I'm saying? Folks, we need to be in the word of God. We can't deceive ourselves in thinking, hey, listen, this is the way I've always done it. This is the way my family did it and all. We need to get down and say, oh, God, lead me and guide me, oh, thou great Jehovah. I think the brass ensemble is playing that tonight. Is that right, honey? I thought I heard that song before. I played it this morning. Oh, how many people are thinking they're going to heaven because of the religion they grew up? People are justifying themselves. People are doing things. They say that today, 40% of homes being bought are being bought before the couple gets married. It's shifting. And as I was reading this book and thinking of the barbaric society to a civilized society, I see America becoming from a civilized society— going back to a barbaric society. Why? Because you lose your moral compass. We have a God who says it the way it should be. Now, this passage of Scripture is up here. I find this interesting. And, and I wish I had more time, but our time has run out. I'm going to have to probably cut this short. If you all agree, come back next week. I won't preach till 3 o'clock this afternoon. Is that all right? But what we find in this lacking integrity is the integrity of being born again. Notice what it says here. Do you not know that the unjust will not inherit God's kingdom? Now, I want to ask you, what makes you just? If you are justified by God by accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. Does that make sense everything? Uh, some people say, well, I'm just, I'm good. And that, No, no, no. What makes you just, what makes you righteous is not you, but it's God. He says, do not be deceived. It's interesting, Pastor Nathan. That word, do not be deceived, is in the present tense. What's happening is people are going through their lives and they're living in the practice of deceiving themselves. There are many people who are doing that. He says, no sexually immoral people. Now, when we get into this passage, and I I looked up some of these tenses and what's going on in this passage because I, I find it very fascinating, the Greek tenses. I really do. But these words that are being used here are not uh, verbs. They are, most of them are nouns or adjectives. So what is a noun? A noun is substance, right? It can be an idea, it can be whatever, but it is some type of substance or an adjective is what's describing it. So understand that in the use of these, these words and these nouns, is not that that this person has uh, sin in his life, because we will have sin in our lives as a born-again believer. We will do wrong things. But these are the description of the person. This is his life. This is who he is. This is his substance. Does that make sense? When we start studying the Scriptures on this aspect, we find that there is a position that you are in Christ, you are regenerated, you are born again, And then we also find a practice. And the practice of our lives and what we do in our lives, it ought to mirror who we are. Is that not correct? Or else we are living a hypocritical life. By the way, people say there's a lot of hypocrites in church. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of hypocrites in this world. At least while we're here in church, we understand that we are sinners saved by grace. And we've come to that place To acknowledge our sins and ask Jesus Christ to come into our hearts and to save us. The way that I know that he's come into my heart is because he's changed me. Okay? And I want to ask you a question. Have you been changed? He says, don't deceive yourselves. Don't just be going along and, man, my parents are going to heaven. They brought me to church and I made this profession. When I was younger, and 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 and, uh, and and I just living my own life. He says, "Don't be deceived. The sexually immoral people, the idolaters, the adulterers, the male prostitutes, the homosexuals, the thieves, greedy people, drunkards, revilers, swindlers will not inherit the kingdom." Okay, those are descriptions. Verse eleven says, "Some of you." ...were like this. And I love the tense here. It is actually the imperfect tense. The were there. Some of you were. And I've described this... in, in ...as we understand the Greek language. The heiress tense is the tense of position. The present tense... ...is your living. That's your practice. The perfect tense... ...is the tense of salvation. It is... ...it is the best tense to show salvation it is something happens to you and you keep on going for Jesus Christ that's the present uh, perfect tense the imperfect tense is that point of action but going the other direction so when he says some of you were he says all right there's there's something there that happened in your life But when you look back, there's all kinds of those things that were listed there in 9 and 10 that were a part of our lives. We all have a past, don't we? And that's what the imperfect tense is. It's your past. Some of you are that way. And I tell you what, when I look back on my life and I realize what God has saved me from, and the longer I'm saved, man, I'm going to tell you something, the more I realize what God has saved me from. Praise God for that. Oh, God, I want to please you. I want to please you. Look at this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 5 through 6. He says, test yourselves. In the King James, it says, examine yourselves. Y'all know that passage? Examine yourself. That word uh, is in the present tense. Which means, uh, Steve, that examining yourself is an ongoing, it's a part of your practice. You're examining yourself. You're seeing what's going on in your life, whether you're living in faith and examine yourselves, and do not, or, or you do not recognize for yourself that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test. And I hope you will recognize that we are not failing. The test, boy, that's an interesting passage of scriptures. The test that Jesus Christ is inside here in John, and I and it was just you know, first John was written that we might know that we have everlasting life, and 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 he says here in verse four, he says, "He that saith I know him, I know him." And by the way, that is the intimate knowledge that you've established with him. And doesn't keep his commandments. Interesting. These words are in the present tense. It doesn't mean that I don't, as I'm walking down my Christian life, don't I'll fall down and commit an act of sin. It's the idea that I'm not keeping his commandments. Does that make sense? Does everybody understand that? Bible says we confess our sins because he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Listen, as a born-again believer, yes, I I will fall, I will commit sin, but it's not who I am. And it says he's a liar, and the truth is not in him. He that saith, he abides, again, the present tense, in him ought himself also to be walking. I can tell as James says by the the uh the the works will works will show the reality he that saith he is of the light and he hateth his brother is in darkness there's something wrong there truly we and and I think first John if I were to give just a little bit more aspect of first John I believe what it's saying there is is in these passages It is hard for you and I to say that we have been born again if we don't have the characteristics of being born again. What he's saying there, I believe, is the fact that you might be born again. But to say that you're born again and you don't have these fruits, you don't have these tests, you don't have these evidence of a born-again life, how can you say it? It's a dangerous place to be Living on the fence. Because you don't know which side you're going to fall. May God help us in this. Notice what he says in 1 John 5, 18. And I think this is so amazing. We know that we that whosoever is born of God. The idea there, being born of God, is in the heirs tense. In other words, God gives you birth. You are born again. Then he says, and sinneth not. Let me ask you this question. We'll give you a Greek review this morning. When it says, and sinneth not, do you think that is in the present tense or aorist tense? say, boy, this is confusing to me. It's in the present tense. Understand, when Jesus talks and the Bible talks about those that are in sin... He's talking about that this is the practice of their lives. This is who they are because they're still a sinner. They're not been born again and become a saint. So here it says, and and know that whosoever is born of God, that means you have come to Jesus Christ. You have accepted him. You are in Christ. You're not going to be going out there just living in sin. This is not the characteristic of your life. And he says, but he that is begotten. The word begotten is the same word as born there. You are born. It is in the aorist tense. I have been born again. And It is in the passive. In other words, I didn't give myself birth. God gave me birth. Keepeth himself. And that wicked one touches him not. Praise God for that. And so my question this morning. Have you been born again? Now, being born again means that there was a birth. And after that birth, there's a growing up. Y'all know what I'm talking about? How many are still growing? I'm growing. Growing up. We had six kids, and all six kids did not come out walking. All six kids didn't come out and say, hey, mom, I'm hungry. But they grew up. And they kept growing. You know, it's a part of life. It shows that we have life. Father, I pray that you help us to catch this this morning. I I want so much folks not to be deceived at Westside Baptist Church, but to understand where they'll spend eternity based on the justification that you give to each of us by our acknowledgement as a sinner unable to save ourselves and our trust in Jesus. And then, Lord, the justification like James brings out that, Lord, it shows, it declares. Our words declare who we are. Our our actions declare who we are. Maybe, Father, Right now, there's some folks here that don't know it could be they've never been born again, and you've never given to them the transformation of a new life in Christ. Oh God, may it be today that they would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. maybe Lord, there's some here today like that would fit into first John it's hard to say that we know if we have gotten away from you or we've gotten into sin but yet even in getting into sin you tell us that you chastise us you bring us to the woodshed to bring us back to you because you love us hebrews chapter 12. god help us as the bible commands us to examine ourselves heads are bowed and eyes are closed As you examine yourself, you examine whether there was a time in your life where you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You know that. Then you examine what God's doing in your life. He's growing you up. Oh yeah, you fall down. My children didn't learn how to walk perfectly for some of them at different stages of their lives as well. You can't compare yourself with someone else in their walk and think, well, I'm not as good as this other person or I'm not as bad as this other person. God says we're unwise when we compare ourselves. But as you examine yourself right now, heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you're examining your heart. Do you see Jesus Christ inside of you? Do you see him manifesting himself in the spirit of God living inside of you that's bearing witness with your spirit that you are a child of the God? of king he convicts you of sin he tells you he shows you maybe you've been disobedient and maybe there's some things you need to get right with god but you can say yes i look inside and yes maybe i've gotten away from the lord or maybe i haven't grown like i should have but i understand right now i'm saved because god's spirit speaks to my heart and he shows me when i get off course and he lovingly wants me to get back and sometimes there's the chastisement but praise god for his grace I have examined myself, and I know that I know that I have been born again. The evidence of God in your heart. If you can say that, would you just slip your hand up there and hold it up there? It says, yes, I know that I know I have been saved. doesn't mean I'm perfect. It doesn't mean I'm not having problems in areas in my life that I failed in. But I know that I know because God's there. He's changed my life. Oh, I wish, you know, I think every one of us, you can put your hands down, every one of us could say, man, I wish he'd change me more. I think every one of us could say that. I wish I'd grow up faster. I, I keep saying to the Lord every week almost, Lord, how come it's taken me so long to learn this? And then I thank the Lord for his grace and his patience. And I don't beat myself up, but I also don't make excuses. And I get on the program. And I want to tell you, my friends, this morning, I'm sure everyone could testify. When we get where God wants us to get, it's the most blessed walk in life. I wouldn't trade my life for anything. I was sharing with one person this morning, the Bible says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And this week I was thinking about that. Yes, to die is gain, if for me to live has been Christ. You think about it that way. Spend your life for him. Give him your hope. Is there decisions to be made. If you don't know for certain you're going to spend eternity in heaven, why don't you invite him into your heart? You can do that even right where you said or during this invitation or afterwards. You say, preacher, I want to know that I know where I'm going to spend myself in eternity. If that's your prayer, would you slip your hand up as well? And then this morning, may God help you to invite Christ into your heart. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the treasures of it. Lord, how consistent it is. How amazingly it's been preserved and put together. Lord, you do not want us to be deceived. The devil is the great deceiver. And Lord, this morning you just laid on my heart how that we all need to be careful about justifying the wrong that we're doing. Maybe we've got ought with a brother and we just justify it make excuses saying that well, they hadn't treated me that way. Maybe it's we're not giving as we ought to because we think that we can't make it and ends meet and we justify and we deceive ourselves rather than trusting in you to lead us and guide us. Oh, God, may that message resonate this morning in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen and amen. I can't tell you, my friends, listen to me. I can't tell you enough how God arrested this message for us to hear about deceiving ourselves. We don't want to do that. Amen to that. We don't want to do that. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Let's stand together. Let's sing the first and the third verses. If you got needs this morning, I trust that you'll come. Thank Him that He saved you. Father, help us to come to you. Thank you for saving our soul. Thank you for saving my soul. Let's live for him, amen? Let's give him our all. Let's give him our all. Let's be obedient. This morning's the day that we're taking up our faith promise cards. Let's be obedient. Somebody might say, well, I've never done that. Has it ever occurred to you that everything that you do was a time that there was a time that you never did that before? Just do what God wants you to do. Amen? Oh. Pastor Nathan, will you ever regret it? Never regret it. Will you ever gre- regret it? Never regret it. Mike, will you ever regret it? Never regret. The obedient. We've got our Sunday school classes now that we're going to. If you'd like to stay for that, wonderful. And then tonight, oh, I tell you, come back tonight. You're going to be in for a special treat. Make sure you sign up for the exchange at the Welcome Center. Is there a song we're supposed to sing as we close or just close? I, you know, time's up. Let's go. You're dismissed. <laughs>